Hi, everyone. Wonderful to see uh, everyone here, though fewer in number than normal. This long weekend often uh, cuts our number down a little bit as people go and enjoy a well-earned holiday. Uh, So those on holidays, enjoy that, and we'll stay here and enjoy this. Um, if you're new with us, you've joined us partway through a series as we preach through the book of Two Kings uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, some interesting and obscure stories. Maybe you thought that as we just heard it read out then. Uh, but now we're going to focus on that. So we'll keep 1 Kings 6 open. Sorry, 2 Kings 6. I'm going to make that mistake all through our series. 2 Kings 6. And you can see where we're going on your handout as well on our outline. The other week, uh, I shared about some of the strange things that people believed in the church that I grew up in. I actually have lots of other stories about that kind of thing, if you ever want to ask me, and hear some interesting things that people thought. But growing up in my church, there was no shortage of people who claimed to have seen angels or demons uh, with their own eyes. They claimed to have seen spiritual beings and spiritual realities. And again, I don't want to go into all of that now and discuss whether that's true or helpful or right or not, Uh, but our passage today is one of those strange moments in the Bible where God shows us the spiritual reality beyond what we normally see. Let's pray and we'll dig into God's Word and these truths. God, our Father, as we reflect on your Word now, open the eyes of our hearts, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see your truth and see reality as you see it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7 as well. Well, kind of, not really, uh, because in these chapters what we get is three more stories of Elisha and Israel got God's people in the north kingdom of Israel. And we get these three stories, a short story, a medium story, and a long story. Now, we're not going to look at all three stories in detail. You can do that in your own time, and I encourage you to do that. Uh, We shouldn't just come to God's Word on Sundays. We should steep ourselves in God's Word throughout the week. Uh, But we're going to spend most of our time on that medium-length story. But just quickly, what are the other two stories that are in this part of 2 Kings? Uh, The first one is a short story. The short story we just had read out for us, the story of the floating axe head. A man loses his axe, the axe head falls off and falls into the river, and Elisha, he makes it float back to the top. It's a miracle. And this is really another one of those miracles that God does for the everyday Israelite, the average faithful person in Israel who still worships the one true God, who hasn't turned away from him. And again, God is faithful. He provides for his humble people. And he does that through his prophet, Elijah. Elisha. Again, going to keep making that mistake as well. Uh, That's the short story. But then the next two stories we've got, the medium one and the long one, they go from the kind of personal, intimate stories to big picture, political stories again. Uh, And we get the stories of war between the nation of Israel and the nation of Aram, or Syria, as we call it today. Uh, Last week we saw the story of Naaman, and he's from that country, from the country of Aram. That's where he's from. You can see where Aram is on the map there in the northwest. had to think about that, northwest. Uh, and Aram and Israel, they were constant enemies throughout the centuries, always at war. And we saw it back in 1 Kings. We're going to see it as we keep going in 2 Kings. They just keep fighting. Uh, and so we get this long story in chapter 6. 
uh, and chapter 7, and we didn't read that out before. It's the siege of Samaria. And it's really, it's just a horrific story. Uh, as Aram's army puts Israel's capital, Samaria, under siege. Uh, so be warned before you read that story. It's very confronting. We see the, the cruelty and desperation of war. Uh, but we also see in the end God's righteousness and his mercy as he gives victory to Israel. So there's a short story, there's a long story, but in the middle there's a medium-length story, the invisible army. Now we read out most of it just before, and that's where we're going to spend our time now. So come with me, we're going to dig into yet another amazing story where we see uh, miracles of Elisha, uh, but more than that, God's great power and God's great mercy. And as you can see on your outline there, there are four scenes to this story. And the first scene starts with the king of Aram and his plans being frustrated. So imagine now we're in the palace of the king of Aram and look at verse 8 with me. It says, When the king of Aram was waging war against Israel, he conferred with his servants. My camp will be at such and such a place. Now, there's no real surprise there in those opening words. He's just going about his business as king. He's telling his servants, his royal court, his military strategy. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to send soldiers to that road or to that village, and they're going to attack. And the picture here is not of the whole army of Aram, but like smaller groups, smaller raiding parties who would go and sit by the road or who would go to a particular village and wait so that they could kind of get people as they were unsuspecting. Now, think of it like Robin Hood and his merry men, except these men are not very many, very merry. Uh, and they're, about steal- they're not about stealing from the rich to give to the poor, they're about stealing for themselves and growing their own kingdom, uh, plundering the nation of Israel. Uh, but there's a problem with the king's plans. So look at verse 9. The king of Aaron, Aram, he would send his men here or there, and everywhere he sent them, this is what happened, The man of God, Elisha, he sent word to the king of Israel, be careful passing by this place, for the Arameans are going down there. Consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the place the man of God had told him about. The man of God repeatedly warned the king of Israel, so he would be on his guard. Now we're going to get the names of either of the king of Israel or the king of Aram in this story. Uh, We don't know who they are, we don't know when it happened, But it seems that this time, God is on the side of Israel, his people. He still shows kindness to them time and time again, even though they turn away from him time and time again. So what's happening in the story? Every time the king of Aram tells his raiders, his his little uh, parties, where to go, Elisha, the prophet, he knows exactly where they're going to be. And so he tells the king of Israel, and then voila, they can be on guard and be ready for the attack the element of surprise, is gone. The king of Aram's plans are thwarted. Time and time again, Elisha, he keeps telling these things to the king and they gain the upper hand on Aram over and over again. So Elisha here is kind of like the best intelligence analyst that you could ever dream of or the best kind of code breaker. So think of like the the Enigma machine that was used in World War II to to encrypt and decrypt messages. Elisha, he can intercept and decode the messages the communications of the king of Aram. He knows exactly what they're up to. Or, uh, I think for us, in our modern day, Elisha is like our Google Maps. 
Uh, you know, when you're driving somewhere and you've got Google, Google navigation on, and the Google lady says, actually, there's a quicker route. Why don't we go this way? And you say, thank you, Google, for that inside information. Yes, yes, I will go that way. Although she failed me last week. She took me directly into a traffic jam because of an accident. And that was, thanks a lot, Google. But Elisha, he's like the perfect Google Maps or the perfect code breaker. Why? Because God reveals these things to him. The king of Aram, he's totally in the dark. He has no idea how his military secrets are being leaked. And so he's, understandably, angry and suspicious. So look at verse 11. The king of Aram was enraged because of this matter. And he called his servants and demanded them, Tell me, which one of you is for the king of Israel? His response is is actually kind of funny, because we know what's going on, and he doesn't. But he flies off the handle. You're the only ones I told about these plans. So which one of you is betraying me and leaking information to the Israelites, to the king of Israel? Who's the mole, he says. But Aram's military intelligence, they've been doing work of their own and they've worked out what's going on. So verse 12, one of his servants said, kind of like trembling as he says it, No, my lord the king, Elisha the prophet of Israel, he tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in your bedroom. Isn't that a chilling thought? Would you like people to know the things that you say in the privacy of of your home, the privacy of your own bedroom. But that's what God reveals to Elisha here. And didn't we see the same thing last week? Think about Gehazi, the, the, the servant of Elisha, who we met last week. He tried to lie to Elisha, but Elisha, he said, didn't I see you when you did that thing? Didn't God reveal it to me? It may, it may sound like a simple truth, but what do we see here? We see that God is all-knowing. He's omniscient, it gets called. He knows all that there is. He sees all that happens. Nothing is outside of his view or his understanding. The words we say in private, our very thoughts, nothing is hidden from the all-knowing God. And here, God chooses to reveal some of these things to the prophet, to Elisha. And he does it for the sake of his people, did you notice? God again shows he is for his people. He works for their good. He keeps his covenant with Israel. He's faithful. He keeps drawing them back to himself time and time again, showing grace. But that truth that God is all-knowing, that should be a truth that humbles us, right? Humbles us before God. But the king of Aaron, he's not humbled by this. He's enraged and he's determined to do something about it. And so then we get scene two, God's invisible army. Look at verse 13 with me. The king of Aram, he sets out to find Elisha. So the king said, go and see where he is, so I can send men to capture him. When he was told Elisha is in Dothan, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. So the king of Aram, he's a man of action. Straight away, he sends troops to go and surround the city of Dothan. He goes at night, so he has the element of surprise. And again, we see the character of the king of Aram, don't we? You can kind of see what he puts his trust in. What does he trust in? His own military might. He's an arrogant man. He thinks he can get the upper hand by a show of power. But it's also a little bit funny, isn't it? 
is he sends his whole army, the whole nation's army, to go and capture one man. It's over the top. It's out of proportion. And so he looks like a fool. You need your whole army to capture one man? But also, think about it. If Elisha knew about all of Aram's raids, if he knew the very words that the king speaks in his bedroom, wouldn't you know about this too? Did the king even stop to think about that? Seems not. It seems like he thinks he can win. He can just get rid of pesky Elisha, and then all will go well for him. So what happens? Well, when Elisha's servant gets up early and kind of starts his duties for the day, maybe he steps out the front door, and as he kind of bends over, picks up the morning paper, and yawns and stretches, he, he suddenly sees, surrounding the city is the whole army of Aram, massive army. So he rushes back into Elisha and says, Master, what, we, what do we do? We're goners. It's over. Look at uh, his response, Elisha's response in verse 16. He's cool as a cucumber. Elisha said, don't be afraid. And listen to this. For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. You can imagine the servant saying, what are you talking about, Elisha? Who is with us? There's no army here. We're we're sitting ducks. But according to Elisha, there is more on their side. And so we get this incredible moment. Look at verse 17 carefully. It says, Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open the eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw that the mountain around the city was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What's going on here? This is one of those rare moments where God peels back the curtains of reality and gives us a glimpse into the spiritual realm, into the spiritual reality that lies beyond what we can see. So, so what does he see? You have to picture it. Elisha and his servant, they're standing in the house. And around them is the city of Dothan. And then around them is the massive army of Aram. But then around them, far outnumbering the nation of Aram, by far is God's vast, fiery, angelic army. His invisible army. Don't be afraid, Elisha says. For those who are with us far outnumber those who are with them. And you can imagine just being that servant and, and seeing what he saw. That would have been far more terrifying than the armies of Aram. See, God has brought his personal army of angelic beings to fight for Elisha, to defend him. And what we see here is one of the names of God on display for us. Throughout the Old Testament, uh, God, the one true God, he has many names, uh, lots of different names that show us who he is. But one of the more common names that comes up is Lord of Hosts or Yahweh of Hosts. And the word hosts means armies. And so God reveals himself as a mighty warrior king. Israel's God is the God who commands the armies of heaven. Maybe we don't think of God like that very often, but, but the reality that the Scriptures show us is that there is a spiritual realm beyond what we can see. Some Christians, as I kind of alluded to before, some Christians make too much of the spiritual realm, and they give more credence to angels and demons than they deserve. They get kind of caught up and obsessed about these things. 
That's a danger we have to avoid. But so is the opposite. So is what many modern Christians do by underplaying or just overlooking the idea of a spiritual realm at all. That the physical world is all that there is and that's all that we live for. That's not good either. No, the scriptures speak time and time again about the reality of this spiritual realm of angelic beings. And that these spirit beings created by God, they do his work. They obey him. They do his bidding in the world. Wherever he tells them to go, they go. They are his army. They do his work. He is the Lord of hosts. And this army, it's more powerful, more fearsome, greater in number than any human army or all armies that have ever been combined together. That's the army that shows up for Elisha, blazing with fire, covering the landscape. Don't be afraid, says Elisha, for those with us outnumber those with them. This is God showing up to protect his prophet, his faithful man. It's God doing for Elisha what a lot of the Psalms speak about. If you want to read an encouraging psalm, go home tonight and read Psalm 46 or Psalm 34. Uh, Look at Psalm 46. It says this. There it is. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob or Israel is our stronghold. Well, listen to Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he rescues them. God's armies do his will for his people. And so the scene is set for this epic battle. Uh, you know, in the movies, when all the armies are lined up, ready to charge, there's tension in the air, there's, there's fear, and the king or the general raises a shout, and they all charge in. Uh, it kind of reminds me of this, uh, our Saturday night uh, invest challenge, our competition when we went away together in August. Uh, I felt like the spirit of the moment came on us, uh, and, and we were ready to go into battle. Um, yeah, it's Kind of striking, isn't it? Kind of embarrassing, but that's okay. Uh, here, God's invisible armies are ready. They're chomping at the bit, and Aram doesn't even know that they're there. So we're expecting this epic battle. But then, look at what happens in verse 18. This is scene number three, the battle. Verse 18. When the Arameans came against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord. Please strike this nation with blindness. So he struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. No war cry, no charge, no fight, just a prayer. And the Lord of armies, his armies mobilize. The whole army of Aram is suddenly totally blind. Good luck winning a battle with a blind army. God's armies are with Elisha, aren't they? Just as Elisha prayed, you know, to open the eyes of the servant, here he says, close the eyes of the, of the armies of Aram. And it's done. God again is with his prophet. And so then, look at verse 19. Uh, Elisha, and he, he goes out and has a chat with him. It's, also, it's kind of funny again. This is meant to be like a bit of a comedy. Uh, Elisha said to them, this is not the way. This is not the city. Google Maps has sent you to the wrong place, guys. Follow me, and I'll take you to the man that you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. It feels a bit like one of those Star Wars Jedi moments, doesn't it? You know, these are not the droids that you're looking for. Uh, But this is not a Jedi trick. This is God at work powerfully through his prophet. 
So they follow Elisha. Well, what else are they going to do? They're blind. They're terrified. They're totally confused. And so Elisha, the one they're hunting, leads them to Samaria, the capital city of their enemy. And it's, it's kind of meant to be funny again. It's meant to be like, this is just a laugh. And what does Elisha do? He prays again, an, an effortless prayer. Lord, open their eyes. And suddenly, the army of Aram sees. And they realize they are right in the heart of enemy territory. They're in the capital city. There's nothing they can do. They're totally surrounded. They're sitting ducks now. It's over for them. See, the Lord of armies is with Elisha. He's fighting for his people. And so the battle is won. God miraculously delivers these enemies on a silver platter. And so scene four, we get the resolution. And it's, it's unexpected. What happens to the army of Aram? Look at verse 21 with me. Because when the king of Israel saw them, they saw the army of Aram, he said to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? I, I will kill them. The king, he's a bit trigger happy here. Uh, but it seems that the king of Israel at this time, he, he was more faithful than, than other kings or other, uh, maybe than at other times. Because here he's listening to the prophet, isn't he? He asks the prophet what to do. He calls him father, a term of honor. So maybe at this time Israel was doing better at following their God. Um, but we don't really know. And what we do know, though, is God chooses to show grace to his people here, despite their sin, despite their rebellion. And here God chooses to give Israel relief, and he does it in an interesting way. You see, there are times when it is right for Israel to destroy their enemies in the Old Testament, and that's God's will, but not here. Look at verse 22. Elisha says, don't kill them. No, give them a meal and send them home. And so that's what they do. And it's actually this really wise move. Elisha's wisdom, God's given wisdom, it reminds me of what Jesus says. Jesus' words, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Instead of picking a big fight with Aram and causing them to hate them even more, making things more politically tense, Elisha suggests diplomacy. Give them a meal, send them on their way. And you can just... You can just imagine how humbling that would be for Aram. Here's Aram at the mercy of Israel. Israel could have slaughtered them all and won the decisive victory. But this way, Elisha's way, means that that lives are spared and Aram is humbled. They set out for war. They set out to show their power. And instead, they're given a meal and sent off with their tail between their legs. Their, their efforts have come to nothing, and they go back to their king, ashamed. Now Aram knows that they can't win. God's armies are with his people. God has opened their eyes to that. And so they leave Israel alone. The last verse says, says they stop sending raiding parties. God gives relief to his people, Israel. And at this time, God chooses to show mercy even to his enemies, to the nation of Aram, it reminds me of Jesus' words, God is gracious even to the ungrateful and evil, which we should just be so thankful for. We fit in that category. So that's the, the story of our passage tonight. But as we bring it together, what are the big things that we see here, the big lessons? We're just going to finish with two big lessons from this passage today. 
I think we can kind of clearly see in this passage, first of all, it's God who is in charge. Just think about it. It was God who told Elisha what the king of Aram's plans were and and foiled his plans. It was God who sent the fiery army to protect Elisha. It was God who opened the servant's eyes to see these angelic beings. It was God who blinded Aram's army and led them into the enemy's hands. It was God who sent them home humbled, but shown mercy. It was God who gave relief to his people Israel. God is totally in charge of everything. The word we use is that God is sovereign. He is king. He has total authority and power as the king over everything in existence. And so he's totally free to do whatever he pleases. He's totally free to choose when he will bless and when he will curse, when he will judge and when he will show mercy, when he will open eyes and when he will blind them. The Lord of hosts can command his armies and then they will do his bidding. The forces of heaven, they're at his disposal. Doesn't that show us God is to be feared? If he is sovereign over all creation, if he commands the armies of heaven, if the nations are like dust in his hands and he makes them rise and fall as he pleases, then he is to be feared. He is mighty beyond our imagination, beyond our comprehension. And this passage just shows us that plain and clear to see. But the truth, the truth that comes alongside this great truth is that God is for his people. Yes, God is in charge, but then he is for his people. He uses his mighty power. He is fearsome, but then he is merciful. And he uses that sovereign power that he has for the good of his people. And haven't we just seen that in 2 Kings recently? God shows grace to his faithful remnant. He abundantly provides for them. He resists the proud, but then he exalts the humble before him. He is with them. He is for them. And here we see the Lord, he sends his armies to fight for his people, for a faithful Elisha, most of all. That's the spiritual reality that means that he can say, don't be afraid, those who are with us outnumber those with them. But we have to think, what what is our battle? What is our battle post-Jesus as God's people in Christ? What's our spiritual reality? Do we have an invisible army following us everywhere so that they can fight our battles for us, protecting us, giving us success in all we do? We don't find a whole bunch in the New Testament, actually, about the armies of heaven and kind of how we relate to angels as Christians. Uh, But what's clear is in in the New Testament that our battle is not against flesh and blood like it was for Israel. No, our war is spiritual war against sin and death and the devil. But the thing is, that the kind of big spiritual reality that God's word shows us is that Jesus is the Lord. He is God in the flesh. He is the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the Lord of hosts. So he commands the armies of heaven. Just think about what Jesus said when he was about to be arrested. He said, do you think I can't call down tens of thousands of angels to defend me if I want to? But no, I'm going to the cross. Well, think about Jesus in the book of Revelation, where we see he leads the armies of heaven on the judgment day. 
You see, the greatest spiritual reality for us is that Jesus is king. He is Lord over all, seated at the right hand of God, who has conquered sin and death and the devil and all of his evil spiritual forces by his death and resurrection. So on the last day, he will return and he will send out his angelic army to gather us, his people, to himself. And in the meantime, as we wait for that, in the meantime, this is the spiritual reality for us in Jesus. We are on the side of the Lord of all, the Lord of heaven's armies. And even if we don't know what ways his armies might be at work, they're invisible, we shouldn't expect to see them. Even if we can't see them, we can trust that he is sending his angels to do his bidding for the good of his people. The Lord of hosts is for those who trust in Jesus the Son. And so listen to Elisha. Listen to the words he says. Don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Or listen to the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, John, he's trying to comfort Christians because they're facing persecution from false teachers and from demonic forces. And this is what he says. This is like the New Testament parallel to those words Elisha says. John says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. See, what this does is it puts us into perspective for us. Don't be afraid, Christian. The one who is in you, the very Spirit of God, God, the Lord of hosts, he is the one who is in you, and he is greater than the one in the world, the devil. The Lord of heaven's armies are greater than the devil and his demons. The world listens to him. The the world is led astray by them, but not you. The spiritual reality is that you have come to know Jesus. And so you've come to know the God who is the Lord of hosts. His spirit is in you. All of this means he will ensure that you are kept safe until that final day, safe in his kingdom now and for eternity. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop his heavenly armies. And so as you do, day, as you do life day by day, we'll remember that spiritual reality. Don't focus on it to, to all you know, your focus. Don't obsess on the spiritual realm, but do keep it in your mind. As you suffer for Jesus' name, or as you struggle against your sin, or just go through the hard stuff of life, or as you proclaim Jesus and you feel like you get nowhere, don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those with them. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Pray. Now, gracious Father, we praise you that in your word and by your spirit in us, you open our eyes so that we can see the wonderful spiritual reality that you command the armies of heaven, that you are sovereign over all, and that you are for your people, those who are in Jesus. Lord of hosts, as we walk with you following our Lord Jesus, help us to fix our minds on that reality and to serve you without fear, knowing that those who are with us are more than those against us, knowing that your spirit in us is greater than the one who is in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.